0: Hello,
1: Duke fans, and welcome to episode 398 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Saturday night, March 5th, 2022. By the time we finished recording, it'll be Sunday, March 6th, I imagine, because I don't think we're getting through this thing in 20 minutes. I am your host for this unfortunate, melancholy, bittersweet, sort of weird mood episode. Uh, I am joined, I am not uh, coming to you from Durham, but my two colleagues here are coming to you from Durham. They're sitting in the same room at opposite ends and speaking into separate microphones. They of course are Donald wine and Jason Evans. Guys, I want to talk about the whole experience of being at coach K's last game in Cameron. I want to get both of your detailed perspectives on that experience, but we are going to talk about the game first. So hello, first of all, great to see you Uh, just very briefly. What was it like to be there tonight? Donald, uh, g- go ahead first.
2: Surreal is the word I've been using this whole weekend. It's just surreal to see. It's like a reunion mixed with all of these players and managers coming back and all these celebrities coming in for the game. Uh, it, it was, you know, I, I'll get into the details of everything, but it's, it was just a surreal weekend. I'm very fortunate that we were able to partake in it. Sam, you were very, very much missed. Uh, this whole weekend, but there was a lot of people, this, I I'll say this off the bat. This is today was the first day that I ever said to somebody, I wish Cameron had a hundred thousand seats because everyone who I think should have been a part of this, not everyone was able to attend this. So I consider myself very lucky and fortunate that we were able to be here.
1: Jason, give me, give me a few words on what it was like to be in Durham this weekend and at Cameron today.
0: So the first thing is the scene outside was unlike anything I've ever seen before at Cameron or on Duke's campus. Donald described it when Donald and I walked up. He very aptly described it as Woodstock for Duke. There were so many people having such a great time and just loving and enjoying being a part of this basketball community that we have. And then the inside, once we went inside, like I thought it couldn't get better. And it was multiplied by 10 or 50 or 100. Um, uh, we'll talk more later about where Donald and I were sitting and our proximity to the 100 plus Duke players who were at the game. I'll merely tease everyone by saying this. We were, ba- Donald and I were basically sitting with all the players. It was unbelievable and, and really special it's a real bummer that it didn't end the way the fairy tale should have ended, but that's life.
1: So let's get into that. Of course, uh, if you are listening to this, you must know that Duke lost the game, unfortunately, tonight to North Carolina. The final score was 94 to 81. The Tar Heels poured in a few extra points in the last minute on the, you know, on the back of, of some, some final fouls, some desperation fouls by Duke. It was, sort of a back and forth affair it was it was like duke had a carolina had a lead for a long time then duke had a lead for a long time then carolina had you know it was they were like long stretches of leads it wasn't like a lot of back and forth weirdly when you look at the box score the end result uh, of the regular season is that duke finishes 26 and 5 with a 16 and 4 mark in the ACC still best for outright ACC regular season champions and i think the weirdest thing about this regular season when you look back at it Three home losses, all in conference, only two away losses, one of which was an overtime loss. So Duke much better on the road this season than they were in Cameron Indoor Stadium. But let's talk about the game where, as I said, Carolina bested Duke by 13. And uh, there are a few sort of interesting threads that I think we're going to pull on. But let's start, of course, with the headlines. Jason, I will let you go first. What is your headline from the season finale and for Coach K's regular season finale at Duke?
0: Boy, it's a real simple one. My headline is, it wasn't supposed to end this way.
1: I hear that. Donald, what'd you have?
0: Foiled. Ooh.
1: I had, I, I had, I had a, a little bit longer one. I said Tar Heels, stick it to Duke in Coach K finale. Now let's talk about the good. I, I don't like that, but I like it, if, if that makes sense. You, right, exactly. I, not, nothing about the, about the game is going to make us fully like it. Let's do the good, though because I do think there are some some bright spots from this game that hopefully Duke can take from the tape and apply to to the ACC tournament. Uh, Jason, why don't you go first with the good? Tell us about what stood out for you tonight uh, on the positive side for the Blue Devils.
0: I thought that there were two players for Duke who I thought played really nicely in this game, And, and I'll try and quickly do both of them, and then I'm sure you guys are going to want to talk about them as well. I thought Jeremy Roach ran the offense really well. In fact, even before he he scored, he scored very nicely in the lane. You know he he was he was able to go to the basket, absorb contact, and and finish uh, really really excellently. Um, and even before he was doing that, I just I felt like the offense ran better with Jeremy Roach running the point than it did with Wendell Moore or Trevor Keels. And we've seen those three guys alternate in that role not just from game to game, but, you know, almost from minute to minute. But I really felt like tonight, Jeremy Roach was running the offense best. And then the other guy that I really wanted to point out was, was Mark Williams, who in a game where he had zero block shots, which is rare for him, Mark had zero block shots, but I still thought he was such a defensive presence in the paint. Um, he forced Carolina into difficult shots, into shots that they missed. And, and Mark has gotten so much better at contesting the shot, and yet still grabbing the rebound. There were several times that I noticed that he went up to try and block a shot, forced a guy to take a difficult shot as a result, and, and he was still able to get the rebound. Mark finishes in this game with 16 points on eight of 11 shooting and 13 rebounds. 16 points and 13 rebounds, and he only played 25 minutes. Um, and and by the way, he led the team in plus minus. Um, I, I mean, so Theo technically Theo John led the team in plus minus, but Theo didn't play that much. But, you know, among the guys who really played significant minutes, Mark led the team in plus minus with a minus six. I kind of thought his number would be even better than that. It just felt to me like when Mark Williams was on the floor, Duke played significantly better than when he wasn't on the floor. And when we get to the bad, I'm going to be talking about that a lot.
1: Jason, I think what you pointed out about Mark Williams making a difference on defense without the blocks was really salient for me. Carolina made a lot of shots in the paint but they were difficult shots and it wasn't like, it wasn't like uh, smaller guys were getting switched onto Mark. And then he was automatically getting blown by
0: for, for easy layups. He was, yeah, yeah he but, was, but by the way, Duke outscored Carolina in the paint 52 to 40. We, we, we control the paint more than they did in my opinion. Right.
1: And, and, and if there's, if there's any knock on Mark Williams's defense is that he wasn't able to defend the perimeter, but guess what? No one from Duke was able to defend the perimeter. We'll talk about that later when we get to the bad. I agree with you about Mark Williams. I think talking about Theo John, who you also brought up, uh, limited minutes. But you know, other than other than his flagrant foul, I loved the intensity from Theo John tonight. He was he was ready to play and he was excited to to bring physicality and and toughness to Carolina. He was playing the role tonight that I have expected him to play all season and you know we've seen we've seen sort of different variations on that, but I was actually really impressed with the with the rotation of the centers between Williams and John. Um, and then as far as as Jeremy Roach goes, uh, I was very impressed with the way he was able to score tonight. I do think that the that the um, the offense was still a little disjointed no matter who was handling the ball and it didn't feel like there was quite a offensive game plan, at least not one that was consistently working for Duke, but agreed that that Roaches has shown in the last couple of games to be a lot more effective than he had been in, in previous months, which really, I think, bodes well for Duke shoring up the rotation heading into the ACC tournament.
0: Well, Sam, the thing about the offense was it felt like Duke was just going one on one. I really felt like there was very little offensive cohesion other than hey, let's get the ball to Paulo now and let him try and take his man one-on-one. Hey, let's get the ball to Trevor now and let him try and take his man one-on-one. Hey, let Jeremy – you know, it, it did not feel to me like this was a Duke team that was cohesive on offense, even though I, I, I just a moment ago said I, I felt like the closest we came to it was when Jeremy was running things.
1: By the way, Duke shot almost 50% from the field and scored 81 points in this game. So – uh, I don't think you can, you can say that there was so much lacking on the offensive end. Yeah, there were a few three-pointers that you would have liked Duke to make that, that didn't drop, but that's not really where the problem was. Donald, what else do you have in the good? Um, because I know that when we, when we swap topics, we have a fair amount bad to discuss.
2: Yeah, I, I want to go back to Mark Williams and Theo John, that position, the five, if you, if you will. I thought they both were very aggressive tonight. Um, Mark Williams had nine rebounds in the first half. And as Jason and I, we were talking to each other at the game, every single rebound in the first half for him seemed like he went up and snatched it. It wasn't like uh, all the ball kind of trickled to him and he kind of went and got it. It was him going up and going over everybody and and assuming control over the paint and, and dominating. And also when he ever, whenever he did get the ball in the paint, he was dominant with the ball on offense and, and flushing it down or having a, you know, layup. He had like one, uh, I think the the worst shot he took was like a, like a 15 footer that he's made before uh, and he just didn't make it, but he had a couple of jump hooks that went in. He had a couple of lay-ins or or just, you know, like tough off, you know, off balance lay-ins that went in. And then he had a couple of just rim rockers, but for Theo John, his intensity uh, was great. Yes, the, the flagrant foul, whatever, that, that's fine. We'll chalk that up to being a little overly aggressive. But uh, he had two blocks, and both blocks were ones that set the tone for the for the defense during those times of the game, and they were a crucial points of the game where he made those blocks. So I, I liked what I saw from that group. And I will say for Jeremy Roach very quickly, Jeremy Roach had some really, really good shots on offense where he was able to do what he could in the paint made some off balance shots. He had one that that I will say had all of the former players going wild. He had a couple of those moments that they were, you know, up. Those who were sitting down were up in their seats after he made those shots.
1: The thing about the way that Theo John and Mark Williams played is that you could tell there was a game plan there, especially to try to entice the Carolina bigs to commit fouls. It didn't work probably as well as they wanted it to. But the, the game plan was there. And if they ran this, this game back, I'm very sure that, you know, a few more, a few more shots for Carolina Clang off the rim and Carolina draws a couple more fouls and we're talking about a very different game. Uh, before we switch to the bad, Jason, can you just comment a little bit on, I know we'll talk about sort of the whole game day experience, but just talk a bit about the, the energy in the stadium and how much that helped Duke, you know, to the extent that it did in a 13-point in a loss.
0: Yeah, I was going to say my other thing I have in the good is the energy. It's the crowd, and uh, th- there were there were moments in this game where, in my opinion, Cameron was as loud as it ever has been. Uh, the 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 crowd, you know, the crowd's always behind them. But even when Duke got down uh, early and then uh, late in the second half, the crowd stayed really, really energized and was trying to will these guys to victory. And like you said, we're going to talk more about the event later on and, and everything that happened. But, but, but I, I did, know, you know, if we're going to identify what was good in this game, we, we definitely need to talk about how much the crowd, how much Cameron brought it. Because we did, and I, you know, not just because I was there.
2: <laughs> the students were incredible tonight. And I will go so far as to say that that was I, arguably the best Cameron crowd that I have ever been a, a witness to, period. That crowd was in it, uh, outside, inside. Everyone there was locked in and wanted this so bad. I think that's why we kind of feel so down about this, because it was a crowd that wanted this win so, so bad, and they were willing to do anything to make it happen,
1: including making Cameron as loud as I've ever heard it. All right, guys, let's switch to the bad. And I want to start, Donald, with you and and talking about Duke's defense, specifically the way that Carolina was able to take advantage of Duke in the pick and roll to find either Armando Baycott under the basket or Brady Manick on the wing for what seemed like a a thousand open three-pointers. What was going on with Duke on defense tonight?
2: Yeah, well, Jason and I actually talked about this as this was unfolding during the game there's a difference between what we were doing and what UNC was doing on defense for UNC, they were hedging their big men out and then they would slough back and everybody would regroup and get back to the same guys for us. We were switching. And what Jason and I were pointing out was that there were times where the switching would allow for people to have mismatches. The idea behind the switching was there, but the execution of the switching made it, where Duke was not able to force UNC into a bad position, UNC was able to use that switching to their advantage. And because of that, you got a lot of mismatches, and those mismatches were taken advantage of very quickly. Brady Manick went off. Armando Baycott went off. RJ Davis went off. And Caleb Love went off. Four guys over 20 points. Remember, UNC scored 94 points, and four guys scored over 20, and then there was only two other guys on the team That scored that was leaky black and Puff Johnson had I I believe it was a a lay-in like late in the game. The that's it. So and none of those points,
1: none of those points, Donald, made any difference in the final score. Like if you take those those bit players out, it's basically just four players for Carolina. Four players scored the basketball.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the the pick and roll was one thing, but just really the switches. They were somehow we were ending up in mismatches, and usually when you switch, you know because in your mind you have this mentality of I can defend anybody on the on the on the floor, but we had times where we had Jeremy Roachan or someone else else in where switching didn't make sense because there was always going to be a mismatch if you did that, and I think UNC saw that and they were able to exploit it time and time again, and they did it especially in the last five six minutes of the game when it really mattered.
0: So. so- what was happening, and, and this, is, this drove me crazy, uh, like Donald said, and, and, and as he mentioned, we were discussing this throughout the game, and it was, it was, making, it was making me quite frustrated. Carolina was – when Duke would switch, it would either allow Carolina to have a mismatch in the post or when Duke would try to adjust to that, because one of the things you do when you switch um, on a screen – on defense is you try to then scramble and adjust when the mismatch is created. But when Duke was doing that, that's where we allowed it. That's where we allowed um, Brady Manick to, to get open on the perimeter. And I'm, I'm going to give credit to Hubert Davis. Carolina had a really good plan to keep the ball in RJ Davis and Caleb loves hands, mostly RJ Davis and force Duke into switches And then when Duke has a big man guarding RJ and Duke has a small man guarding Armando Baycott or Brady Manick, you know, Carolina was either able to get RJ to go to the bucket or they were able to put Duke in, you know, they were able to force Duke Duke to scramble. And the thing that was frustrating to me about it was at the other end of the floor, when Carolina would hedge, we never once punished them for the hedging. Their big men would hedge out force our guards to, you know, to slow their progress. That's what a hedge does. And then their big men would recover back onto Mark Williams or Paulo Bancaro and Duke never once punished Carolina for the hedge. And Sam, I, I hate to do it, but I'm going to, you know, I'm talking here about this and I'm going to be talking about something else later regarding substitutions and, and, and who Duke was playing. I think that coach K in his final game in Cameron had a really poor game that he was out-schemed in terms of how both teams played defense. And, and then I think he, he did a poor job of of substituting for Duke and, and, you know, you never, I'm never going to blame coach K for the loss. That'd be crazy. I want to be clear that I'm not doing that, but in his last game in Cameron, I think coach K had one of his poor coaching efforts in terms of in-game strategy.
1: The frustrating part about the defense for me is that it was so clear that guys were being left open in and Brady Manick, most especially given how much he torched Duke in the, in the first contest. Like he was one of the, the few really bright spots for Carolina in that first game where Duke really dominated. So you would think that at least coming into this game, that someone would be, would be keeping track of Brady Manick the whole time that that was a, that was a key to stopping UNC because he is the safety valve for them. So, Um, let's, let's transition from the defense and talk a little bit about the offense. We mentioned, um, some, some strong offensive performances from Jeremy Roach and Mark Williams in this game, but the, the most reliable guys on this team, this season did not have great games on offense. Paulo Bancaro brings in 23 points, but it takes him 26 shots to get there. AJ Griffin barely touches the ball tonight on offense and only scores five points, makes one three pointer and otherwise was. It wasn't even like he wasn't making shots. He wasn't even getting shots. Carolina was completely denying AJ Griffin on offense. So, Jason, what was it about Duke's offensive strategy that was allowing them to um, to not get the ball in advantageous positions all
0: night long? Well, like I said earlier, I, I feel like Duke was going one on one too much. We were relying on individuals to create for themselves, and we weren't. We we just weren't doing enough passing and finding the open man Duke had 15 assists on 34 made field goals and and look you guys have you know it's not a terrible number but we've seen Duke do better than that when when Duke is playing their game when Duke is playing as well as they possibly can they are getting more than 50 percent of their field goals off of assists and, and and for us to have only 15 assists on 34 made field goals tells you that we weren't moving the ball as well as we as we should and you, you mentioned Paulo. I mean, 26 field goal attempts, that's a lot. He was shooting the ball a lot, and he had four turnovers too. There were, there were just a lot of possessions that Duke had, especially in the second half, where it was an empty possession because Paulo missed a shot or he turned the ball over. And, and it, it, you know, it was a problem, and especially down the stretch. It felt to me – you know, I went back and, and looked at the play-by-play, and. You know, it wasn't like Paulo took the shot or, or turned it over every single possession in the final five minutes, but but he came close and and Duke did not score very much at all in the final five minutes. And, and you're right about A.J. I, 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 I don't know why, I, you know, it's, A.J. Griffin is one of these players, I, you know, he, his only field goal, his only two-point field goal in this game was a ball, was a, a, a play where he, you know, he drove the ball into the lane and he gets those, you know, he's so strong and he got his shoulders square and he just very easily banked it in. And when it happened, like I turned to Donald and we were both like, you know, God, that guy is so good. I I don't know how A.J. Griffin only takes five shots in a game. He's he's too good to only take five shots in a game. Duke's got to scheme ways of getting him more offense.
1: On the topic of Paulo and and shot selection, listener Mac uh, emailed us the other day to point out how he thought that, that Paulo plays a lot like Jabari Parker from his one season at Duke. And, and I think it's a comparison that we've at least danced around before, if not sort of directly made, but the, one of the, you know, the upside to that, of course, is that Jabari Parker was, was one of the best offensive players we've seen at Duke, at least in the one and done era, if not in a very long time, like his ability to score in, in almost any place on the court was, was so incredible that he could get away with taking bad shots, but that comes with the, he was taking bad shots. Um, He's taking long twos. He's taking off balance shots. I know Dirk Nowitzki was in the building last night, maybe or, uh, or tonight. I'd rather maybe maybe Paula was like, oh, I can I can do some Dirk Nowitzki moves here. Um, and and it really just wasn't falling for him. So uh, to your point, Jason, about the coaching, there is a part of me that wonders, like how much of the of of all of that shot taking for Paulo is what he thinks he's supposed to do and how much of it is coach K saying, well, we just have to take these shots. And and that's the, that's the part that I'm still sort of uh, sort of unclear about when it comes to the game planning, Donald, let me let you jump in here. Um, I know you wanted to talk about how uh, we had said in the preview that Duke has the talent to put this game away early and they really weren't able to do that.
2: Yeah. I I mentioned on the preview show, there was two options for Duke. We were either going to start out tight or we were going to blow the doors off the hinges in the first five minutes and we're going to go running away. And I always said this, that duke UNC games are not like what we saw three weeks ago. They are usually very, very tight to start the game. Both teams fielding each other out, not necessarily throwing haymakers. They're throwing jabs if you're borrowing from a boxing phrase, they're throwing jabs to try and see who, like where the weaknesses are before they start throwing haymakers. And that's what this game was. And I think everybody in the gym was so wound up for this game that everybody was tight on the floor. And it it, it happens, right? Like again, these games normally are tight to start and then someone throws a haymaker and then you're off and running. And then you kind of have this game that's open in, in a certain aspect. But I think the player's never really got past that tightness. I don't think the coaching staff really got past the tightness of this game. It was always them. It felt like we were always trying to feel out what UNC was going to do next. And we never could figure it out. And even when we took the lead, there was a point where, you know, again, Jason and I were talking and we go, yo, this is the point where we just, we should just blow the doors off. And then bing, bang, boom, two shots later, it's, two point, it's a two-point lead now or a one-point lead, and UNC, it has momentum, and everyone in the gym is figuring, trying to figure out why. And, and when you're figuring out why, it's too late. And I think that is, that is the biggest thing for me, is that this team played a little too tight tonight. And of course, that's understandable why, but because they played too tight, they
0: weren't able to play like they normally do. You know, Donald was referencing the fact that that Duke had leads and and it felt like we were going to, you know, stomp on them and we didn't, I I thought the team really lacked a killer instinct um, and, and recognizing the moment tonight. Uh, Look in the first half, I want to say Duke was leading by seven and we missed consecutive front ends of one-on-ones. Essentially that's like missing four free throws. Um, Speaking of free throws, I mean, Oh my gosh. So if you look at the box score, Duke, outscored Carolina on points off turnover, which is, by the way, amazing because North Carolina, in the preview, Donald talked about the fact that North Carolina turns the ball over a lot. They didn't turn the ball over at all in this game. They had five turnovers in this game. They basically never turned the ball over. But we still outscored them on points off turnover. We outscored them on points in the paint. We outscored them on fast break points. We outscored them on second chance points. Both teams shot about 50%. Both teams hit just under 40% of their threes. So how did Duke lose this game as badly as we did? It's because free throws. We got killed at the line. Carolina went to the line continually, and Duke did not. They shot 22 free throws, and we only shot eight. And uh, again, to come back to what I was talking about with killer instinct, there were just so many moments where like, we'd get to the line with a chance to extend it, or we'd get them down and we'd have a, a, an open three or some other shot to, to really you know stretch things out. And we never did. And we just kept on letting Carolina back in the game until we let them back in the game to the point where they took the lead. And then we never got it back.
2: So to borrow from the tightness part, right? Like we talked about the turnovers. They only had five UNC. I feel like three of them were in the first like six minutes of the game where, and it wasn't like we were stealing the ball. It was UNC just trying to make a play and they threw the ball out of bounds because again, that was the period where both teams were trying to fill the other out and the fact that we weren't able to capitalize on that and put them in positions where they made mistakes. That's where I feel like over the last two weeks, we have been so good at that, at making teams make bad decisions with the basketball, whether it be bad shots or turning the ball over. And this game, it just felt like we were just like a half step slow. And because of that, we weren't able to get the pass. We weren't able to get the loose ball. We, you know, We weren't in the position to make them pass one way that would have thrown them out of bounds or forced them into a bad shot. They had a lot of open shots. They had a lot of plays where, again, the few mistakes that they did make, they made them. We didn't force them. And I think that is the issue here is that we weren't able to force UNC into a lot of turnovers like we did a few weeks ago where we were able to make them make bad decisions with the basketball. And because of that, we were able to exploit that. We never got that opportunity here
1: one of the interesting things that happened sort of outside of the game but that is most related to the game is that coach K during the the after game uh, proceedings uh, sort of jump-started the whole thing by coming out and displaying his utter frustration with the <laughs> with the effort and the performance tonight he was mad I think some of that was yeah. Some of that I think was directed at himself, but some of it definitely felt like it was directed at the players. And I know you guys were in the arena, so you're probably looking around a lot. They were sort of panning. They were panning the crowd a ton and like showing all kinds of different people. Jerry Seinfeld and and uh, Commissioner Stern were were on the camera a lot. A lot of different people in the Silver. crowd were on the camera. Silver. That's what I mean. Uh, it's, it's, I, I, I get them confused. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, but... When the when the camera panned across the current players after the game, when Coach K was speaking, uh, they all had looks of of like shock and terror on their faces. Uh, I cannot imagine what he is going to put them through over the next 12 hours because it is it is not going to be
0: pretty. You know, the other thing about Coach K is and like I said, I, I hate to say it, but. I thought he made a terrible strategic decision with five and a half minutes left. He took Mark Williams out of this game and he went small. Uh, Usually when he takes Mark Williams out, he brings in Theo John and, and coach K chose to go small at the end of this game. And it was an absolutely mystifying decision to me. I looked through the play by play in the final six minutes of this contest. Duke got one rebound, one rebound in the last six minutes. We were at a point in the game where we needed stops. We needed to prevent UNC from scoring. Donald will tell you at one point Carolina scored. And I said, it was about, it was about two and a half, almost three minutes left. And I said, I think that may have been the basket that wins the game because I said, there's just not enough time left. We've got to get nothing but stops now. And we're not getting stops. And you can't get a stop if you don't get it. I mean, if you get a steal, sure. But we weren't. You know, we we had a total of three steals in this game. We're, We're not turning Carolina over. So the way to get stops, the way to prevent them from scoring was to get defensive rebounds. And Coach K took out our best defensive rebounder in the final five and a half minutes. I don't know why Coach K went small. I think that part of it was Jeremy Roach had been playing well and he wanted to get Roach back in the game. But Roach for Williams, in my opinion, in his last game, was a huge tactical error by Coach K. And literally the second he did it, I was like, Oh, this is this could be a real problem. I was very scared of what Coach K did, and it ended up absolutely blowing up on Duke because we we couldn't get rebounds, and Carolina was able to do what they wanted because they had such a big size advantage. And I think Paula Benkera was frankly tired at that point, and asking him to anchor everything on the inside for us was just not going to happen. So, guys, we are going to take a quick break. We'll we'll
1: leave the the game analysis there, and we'll come back. And I need to ask Jason and Donald all about. Being there in person, I'll tell you a little bit, guys, because you didn't get to experience the TV version, but I'll tell you about what it looked like on TV, at least to, to set the scene so I can get the extra color on it. Stick around for that. We'll be right back. All right, guys, let's just put the actual outcome of the game aside. And let's talk about the whole day that you have spent in Durham uh, on campus at Duke, walking around, seeing people. I imagine you both ran into a ton of people that you knew, uh, as I said, on, on the broadcast, like the broadcast couldn't spend enough time sort of jumping around to, to different celebrities and alumni and, and people who were in the stands. Donald, I know you were you were hyping up that President Obama was going to be there. He didn't show up. But there were there were plenty of other cool visitors in his in his place. It felt like the there were so many former Duke players that they took up like a whole section of the of the area behind the bench tonight, much more than you'd ever would expect to see. And they all were wearing the most of them at least were wearing the same white brotherhood shirts. I know that uh, I know that Kenny Denard, our our friend who we're going to talk to here very soon, not tonight. But very soon he was uh, he was in his standard, uh, you know, wild uh, jacket. A couple other guys were wearing uh, other sanctioned Brotherhood apparel that was not just the uh, the white shirts. So, uh, Donald, let me let me come to you first. Uh, Just just walk me through it, man. What was what was it like there today? And then uh, I know Jason will, will also jump in with his thoughts. So very quickly on the shirts, they weren't actually Brotherhood
2: shirts. They were the Brotherhood like shield but instead of the Brotherhood under it just said K, the like K logo that they've been using. Um, so all of them were in K shirts. Obviously, the, the coaching staff was wearing the the quarter zips that had the logo on it. The players actually had it on their jerseys as well. It was all over the arena. It was obviously uh, very
1: centered around there. Those quarter zips, I, I don't know I need what they one. looked like in person. On TV, those things popped like crazy. They were so cool. Yeah,
2: I need one. Um, But let me first, let me talk about last night, and then I'll bring in Jason for today, because last night I was here. Jason had not yet arrived. Um, I I went to dinner with my cousin, and then uh, a few friends were saying, hey, come by the Washington Duke. We're just hanging out, having some drinks. So me and my cousin rolled over there. And let me tell you, the Washington Duke last night was a scene. It was amazing. It was like a reunion weekend, but... There were former players. There were former managers. Nina King was around. Like there's just random people who were just taking it all in, but also it felt normal, right? Like that's the one thing that we kind of are spoiled about going to Duke is that we can go to the Washington Duke and run into former players all the time. And for us, it doesn't really register, but the fact that there was maybe 30 or 40 players at the Washington Duke and no one really bad eye, it was just catching up with old friends. That's how it felt like that was a moment for me. And it really, you know, put the whole weekend kind of into a spend of, of this is what it's going to feel like. It, it really was kind of a reunion weekend. And I I'll shift to today. Um, I, you know, Jason said that when we walked up, I, I literally said, you know, and in the language, I literally got out of our Uber and I said, Holy shit. Like it was, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen in my life. Um, especially here at Duke. And, and again, we are, we are fortunate because the three of us and a lot of our listeners and a lot of fans have taken in Kville for what it is at some point in our career. We lived it, all three of us lived it at some point in our college lives. And nothing prepared me for what I saw when I got out of that Uber because, like I said, it looked like Woodstock. There's fans all over the place. We, we met some listeners who drove from Greenville, South Carolina, had no tickets but just wanted to be there. Like there were so many of those plants on game day. When I was watching it game day, had uh, they uh, Reese Davis asked how many people here are here, but don't have any tickets and three quarters of the crowd raised their hand. Like that was the spirit here. Everyone was here because they wanted it to be at least a small part of something special. And like I said, this is the first game that I, I really wished that Cameron was a lot bigger because There were so many people, like, I I was talking about this, and, and Jason, I'll bring you in a second. This is a moment where there were so many people who made my experience at Duke great, who made my experience in Cable great. I was a headline monitor, but I could not have done it without everyone on my staff, all 26 of them. And not all of them were here. My friends who I used to go to games with all the time, they weren't here. Sam you weren't here and, and Sam like in my post Duke career like you've been a part of some major major moments with me and Karen shout out to Zion 360 game but there were so many people who were part of this that were watching from afar and in you know looking on and with pride that we were actually able to be there so that's why I say I feel lucky and fortunate that I was here tonight and even with the score I would not change a thing I would want to be right here Recording this podcast at the Millennium Hotel in a room, sharing it with Jason, (laughs) because we just came from probably the arguably the the game that everyone has wanted to go to in in the history of Duke, the the biggest game that Cameron has probably ever seen. We were there and there were so many people who deserved to be a part of it. And I hope all of you out there who were not actually part of the I'm not going to say 9314 because there was way more than that in that building tonight. If you were a part of that, you were a part of something special. But if you were watching from home, you were watching from a bar, you're watching with your friends, you're watching on a beach somewhere, you were also a part of that something special because that's what Coach really talked about. This this is our home. Cameron's our home. Cable's our home. And everyone should feel a part of this spectacle that was this night and this day. And so for everyone out there, I hope you, wherever you are watching this, whether it was here or far, I hope you got the experience out of it, minus the game. I hope you got the experience out of it that we did because it was something that I will never forget and I will always cherish these moments. This ticket will go up on a wall somewhere. It will be framed with some pictures, but everything about this day was absolutely fantastic. And I just touched. I just scratched the surface. What I just said.
1: The cool thing about the way that ESPN covered this is that if you had access to both ESPN and the ACC network today. Uh, it was like five hours through the game of like wall-to-wall. It's like Super Bowl uh, coverage. Yeah, no, it really was. It, it was pretty cool because I was, I was watching it starting. The game uh, tipped at, at about 6.20, 6.25 Eastern time. I started watching coverage this afternoon at like 4.15, 4.30 and was just watching the, the ACC network coverage from outside of Cameron where they had uh, the ACC network, you know, basketball analysts, which is Luke Hancock and, and Carlos Boozer and some Tar Heel, name I can't remember. But so those guys were out there and they were bringing on different Duke alums like Shane Battier showed up and Jason Williams showed up. Uh, you know, they, they brought different guys out just to just to talk to them about their experiences by the time the game started, I don't know if you guys heard about this in the arena, but the Duke game on ESPN uh, was following the Kansas-Texas game, which went to overtime. So the ESPN feed didn't fully commit to the Duke game until we were about six minutes into the game. Uh, but ACC Network was still covering it. So it was it was fine as long as you had ACC Network. Once they were inside, you know, doing a lot of additional interviews, and then after the game, just letting the feed stay with what was going on in the arena, hearing coach K speak, hearing uh, president price and Nina King, all the, all the folks who who spoke and and presented tonight after the game, it was, it was really cool. And it did feel like Donald, even though I wasn't there and I can only imagine the scene, I was seeing pictures trickling in on social media, but even without being there, it still felt like to me, I was, I was a part of it because the the coverage was so good. So (laughs) appreciate ESPN and the ACC Network doing such a good job of of just letting us stay in the arena and and I hope you know I understand that that this is a this is a thing that that in a way sort of transcends ACC and and college basketball normally because Coach K is such a huge figure but I don't know why why the ACC Network couldn't air more coverage like this of other schools and of and of other season finales because it was it was really neat uh, to feel like you were in the stadium and. You know, most telecasts, it's like you get the game and then you see a closing handshake line and a, and, a, and a couple players getting an interview and that's sort of it. I really appreciated that we got to linger at Cameron Indoor Stadium this evening, even though it was on TV.
2: Well, Duke is trendsetters in that regard. I will say my last game, the last game I ever saw in Cameron, Duke UNC, my senior year was the very first college game day for basketball. And it was here at, here at Duke. And it became now college game day is a thing in basketball just as much as it is in football. So maybe this ACC network coverage that they did is the start of something that they can do down the line for big time events like this. But uh, I think obviously, you know, the way they had it set up, I thought was great having, you know, they had something in cable. They had something on the other side. They had something inside. They were all over the place. And I think I, I thought they did very, very well with their
0: coverage. All right. It's time for me to talk about the players. So (laughs) so first, just to set the scene, uh, just walking around campus, there were so many former Duke players that you couldn't help but run into them left and right. Um, Like I I was getting dinner and Danny Ferry walked past me and, (laughs) uh, you know, you just saw players everywhere. When we were um, when Don and I were hanging out around Cameron, we ran into uh, Sean Kelly and Ryan Kelly and Andre Dawkins. um, And we chatted with them for probably a half hour or so. And, And by the way, Sean and Ryan are, are going to come on the podcast sometime this summer. Um, I already, I already worked that out with them. <laughs> so we'll be having them as guests and that'll be a lot of fun, I'm sure. Uh, but then we get into the stadium and, and, you know, Donald and I have mentioned that a, a very nice, very generous Iron Duke, you know, longtime supporter of the team um, uh, provided us with, with these tickets to say that they were outrageously good. <laughs> Doesn't do it justice. I want everyone to understand exactly where Donald and I were sitting. We were directly behind the Duke bench in the front row of the upper section, which means folks, when you were looking at all those players that filed in and, and were like packed like sardines in behind the Duke bench, we were the very first row, the rail right behind them, quite literally right in front. In fact, there were times where, Carlos Boozer and Mike Dunleavy were blocking my view of the game. I had to adjust my seat because Carlos Boozer and Mike Dunleavy were right, were right in front of me. And Casey. And, and Casey Sanders, right. And Jay Will was right there. And JJ Redick. And Steve Wojo was there. Uh, I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, Christian Leitner was, uh, like, literally, my right shoulder was right next to Carlos Boozer. My left shoulder was right next to Christian Leitner and And the fun thing was, Donald alluded to this earlier, seeing the players and how they would react to various plays um they they are even though they are obviously experts at the game and the such they they are very much fans and and you know sometimes Duke guys would do something that, and and you'd see all the all the players you know like go yeah and get really excited and stuff it was it, it was It was tremendous fun it 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 made me feel like we were part of uh, their celebration of Coach K, and and I wanted to shout out major props to Carlos Boozer, Billy King, Mike Dunleavy, and Christian Leitner and Casey Sanders, because those guys were on the very back row of this you know of this section where they had all the players, and those guys didn't have seats. They literally stood for the entire first half. The entire halftime, and then the entire second half. Carlos Boozer was wearing like a Donald said this. He was wearing like a heavy coat and stuff, and you know Carlos was in a suit because he had to do his ACC network stuff. Carlos was sweating. <laughs> Carlos lost five pounds just watching this ball game because it was just it was incredible. And he, it was so much. He has fun. a sweaty head. He has a sweaty head. Normal. Oh, his head was very wet. It was very wet. <laughs>
1: I saw I saw on the broadcast, Kyle Singler was also up there because they they cut to him talking to Christian Leitner for a little bit. So, yeah, it was like it's so funny because you mentioned I I don't know how many names you just rattled off like 20 or so guys. And there are a ton more that that even I was able to see on the broadcast. So it was it was insane um, just just how many guys were there. And to your point about how much they were cheering for the team. Because we're in season, like the last weekend of of regular season college basketball, it was a Saturday night in the middle of NBA season. So almost no active college or NBA related guys were there, at least not guys who were like players and coaches. I saw like Marty. Nate James was there. Yeah. uh, Nate James was there. Grayson Allen was there. But most sort of active guys were not able to attend tonight, which means that all the guys that were there can just be solely focused on being Duke fans for the night. And that was just incredible to see. Sam, since you were in Fuqua, you obviously
2: know this part of Cameron. But of course, at some point during every game at Cameron, they announce the former players who may be back for said game. And the announcer, PA announcer will announce their name and everyone gives them a wave and they put them on camera. So at halftime, they go, hey, we have some former players uh, and I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to call out each one of them by name. So they did like a montage of all these guys, every like all 90, I think it was 98 officially that came back. Um, but uh, they went through each of them in alphabetical order. They said, he said, you cheer for the players that you want to cheer for, but we're going to list them all here. Uh, and they did. And, and like, as people, you know, all the popular players like Shane Battier, you know, there'd be a huge scream. If there's a, you know, a most, a more recent player, they would get loud yells. Uh, if there were, you know, walk-ons that you'd hear some people who were probably around when those play when those players were on the team and they would give a yell. And it was really cool because you again, it 42 years, it spans a, a lot of people. And there were people that I, I did not recognize, and there's people who like, I mean, I went to school with, so I was able to shake hands with them and, and give them dap, and they would recognize me and say hello. We'd catch up for a couple seconds, and then you know, they keep going. So I think that part of it was really cool, but I, I loved that he was like, I'm not, I'm not mentioning all
0: these names. I don't have time for this. There's not enough half time for this. But by, by the way, I want to, I want to give Donald props for one thing. So Donald and I, like you said, we're staying at the millennium hotel. It's, it's you know, it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's not a special hotel, uh, but so we're, we're leaving the hotel to get into an Uber to go over to Cameron. This is around two o'clock this afternoon. And Donald sees some guy pull up in a nondescript car. And Donald said, Donald goes, yo, that's Terrell Owens. I'm like, what? Like, he's wearing a mask. I'm like, what? Donald goes, I think that's T.O. He was right. <laughs> now, T.O. was at the game. We saw him. There were tons of celebrities. You, I mean, you said that they were showing him in the crowd and stuff.
1: Yep. Terrell Owens, Terrell Owens got, a, uh, got a cameo on the
0: broadcast. So we saw him. He's staying at our hotel. <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to mention was, I got a kick out of at the very beginning, when um, you know, after they had announced Coach K and stuff, and and uh, you know, the festivities and you know, the players had all f- filled in, and and the game was about to tip off and stuff like that. I was shocked by how many of the Duke, the former Duke players, the guys who were literally right in front of us, you know, amidst Donald mm-hmm. and I, how many of them pulled out their cell phones and they were videotaping the tip or they're videotaping key moments. They were fanboying this as much as all the rest of us they were as into it as all the rest of us and it was really i was, was joking
1: great. jason i was joking about that as i was watching especially the the post-game stuff uh, because they were I, I saw a few of those guys like jason williams had his phone out to videotape coach k's speech and i was like this oh, is definitely going to be online one. there
0: are tons of them yeah
1: yeah Well, this is definitely going to be online you don't have to do this like You'll know you were there. This is, this, is, this is totally not necessary, but I appreciated that they that they cared that much uh, to to just act like regular fans in that moment. And
2: they got great video. You know why? Because all of them are are you know six five, six eight, six ten, seven eight, six tens, seven foot guys. They all have iPhone big pluses, maxes. They had. They don't have the small iPhones. They got the big ones. So their 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 screens were they were huge. Uh, but it, it was it was great to see that, and it was just great to see. You almost, it was almost like generational, right? Like Shane Battier is sitting next to Kenny Denard. They didn't play together, but they all know each other. It goes to, you know, there was a lot of guys who were sitting next to other guys that they didn't play with, but they were catching up like they did. And I think that's part of, you know, kind of what coach K has created, this brotherhood that, you know, that they've created. They all were having a great time. And again, when things happened that were good during the game, you would see all of them react with each other. You'd see them go, ooh, that was great. Or like, you know, Jeremy Roach did like a, a, you know, behind basically over the back kind of like lay-in, and all of them started just putting their hands in the air like, ooh, I could do that too. Paulo had like a, you know, a spin move and dunk, and like you saw uh, Mike Dunleavy and Elton Brand were standing next to each other, and they turned to each other, and they had their GM faces on like, hmm, maybe we could draft them. Uh, Like all these little things were always cool to take in. Uh, and it, you didn't have to be as close to, as we were to see that they were having a great time with each other. And also when Coach K was, was getting in, uh, uh, you know, digging in on them uh, in the first couple of timeouts when he wasn't happy, all those guys kind of you know, had PTSD. They're like, yo, yo, coach ain't happy. I can see how he's not happy. And also finally, at the end of the game when stuff wasn't going our way these guys still like they, a uh, half of them felt look like they wanted to just jump on the court and sub in and play. Like all of those guys still have the itch. It doesn't matter how long they've been retired or if they had like uh, in case of Grayson, he's not, he's still playing, but like all those guys still have the itch. They still love this university. And it's clear that they like it, the future is safe. Like John Shire will not have any problems having to call any of these guys up and say, Hey, I need you guys to, you know, you know, kick these guys in the butt and, and give them, teach them a lesson. These guys are ready because all
1: of them still have the itch to come back and do what they need to do for this university. There's a moment where towards the end of the game, where where it seemed like it was slipping away, where I thought, man, does, doesn't Jason Williams have an extra year of eligibility here? Like, can't we just throw the uniform on him and, and send him out
0: there and start kicking guys' asses? Yeah. it's uh, Believe me, I, I was thinking that as I was, you know, as, especially when Duke was struggling on the inside a little bit and, and Elton Brand and Christian Leitner and Carlos Boozer were, were literally right next to me. I was like, yeah, guys, could y'all go down there and take care of that a little bit? Yeah, sub, exactly. I, I, by the way, I, I did want to note one thing. We talked a little bit about um, the post-game ceremony for Coach K, um, which was very fitting. And, and I'm glad the network stayed with it so that the entire Duke universe could, could watch that and, and appreciate it. I, I wanted to note something. I, I looked up at the rafters, the very worst seats in the house in Cameron. And that ceremony went on for a while. Not a soul left. Every single seat in the place, like those worst seats in the house, you would ordinarily think would start to peel out a little bit because those folks move down and you know other people leave and stuff like that, and they move down to, to better seats. I looked around, Cameron. No one left. no one. Everyone wanted to be there and be a part of that really special moment at the end of the game. And I was just you know considering. The result of the game was not what any of us hoped and and what a lot of us feared. Um, I I, I love that the crowd stayed to show their love to coach K. It was emotional
2: too. Like I I was, I honestly was choked up for most of it because, you know, again, some of these players were choked up. Like some of these players, like I went to school with some of these guys, we all did. We all went to school with some, you know, some of these players uh, that coach K taught, uh, you know, I went to school with Jamie Cheshewski. Like we are the same, we're the same class. Uh, and so like that part of the aspect of things. And, and just, again, there was fans all over the place who I went to school with who, or, or just knew throughout the years, ushers who have been there forever. Like, you know, people who have been a part of this. And there was people who, I, I mean, if you weren't crying or you were emotional, then you're not human because everyone in that building was just, it felt part of that moment. And, and even coach K was, I mean, he was crying during the national anthem. I think they showed that on television. Uh, they kind of zoomed in on him crying on, at least on the jumbotron. So I'm sure they put it on, on TV. Um, but like everything about it, it's see in, it, and, and Jason even said this before the game. He's like, it might be all this pomp and circumstance might make the, the rhythm kind of be off a little bit because it, it you know, even the, uh, the honor guard that he had where he walked out with all the former players lining him and he's high five, like, the it it was just, it was just, again, surreal, like all of it was. And I think even for coach K, he's like, probably glad that it's over. So now he can just focus on the basketball. We don't have to talk about the, you know, going to the last game in Cameron that's already done. So now he can focus on the basketball, but I will say he was very, very upset at the, you know, at the start of it, he wanted to make that impromptu speech and he did. And he basically said, we have work to do and we're not done yet. And everybody's like, okay, man's upset. And and look out, ACC tournament! All these, all these teams thinking they're going to do something. Coach K uh, probably has a new mission in mind, and I'm sure he's probably hard at work right now trying to figure out what to do to get that ACC championship next week.
1: Yeah, there has definitely been uh, some time today where Coach K has regretted announcing all of this stuff ahead of time because I'm sure that he could have done without some of the some of the the pomp of this evening, although it was extremely cool to see. And I did think that, you know, obviously we're we're Duke fans were inclined to like this sort of thing, but I thought they did a very good job of of putting the whole programming together. I did have one question for you guys that, that didn't come through in the broadcast. Did any seniors give senior speeches tonight? Yes. So this is a great question and I have a nugget
2: of an answer. So the only senior, obviously, only true senior we have is Joey Baker. We obviously have graduate students uh, in Theo John and Bates Jones. None of them gave speeches. And last night at the Waduke, I was talking with some former players and former managers, and I had heard on the way down from uh, my best friend that they're saying that Joey Baker might actually not be giving a speech tomorrow because he might not be coming. I mean, he might be coming back. And I said that into the ethos, and basically the, the word that I got from these former players and managers is, your source is not wrong. So um, the, the word out on the street is that Joey Baker did not give a senior speech tonight because he is not planning on making this a senior season, that he is consi- at least heavily considering at this point coming back for that COVID year that he is eligible to take. Uh, uh, no word on Bates Jones or Theo John. And whether that is in the cards or whether they're even eligible for that, I believe they. I don't believe they are, uh, but they did not give senior speeches for this. But at the same time, it feels like, uh, you know, when it comes to a graduate, uh, uh, a graduate transfer, it's hard to give a senior speech again. And they probably were like, we don't want to do that tonight. But in the, in the case of Joey Baker, it sounds like it, at least as of now, he's strongly
0: considering coming back for another year. I will say that I'd be shocked if Joey Baker isn't playing college basketball again next year and probably playing that college basketball at Duke. The fact that he did not give a senior speech tonight to me uh, is a tremendously telling thing. I know that there was other important business that had to be done regarding Coach K, but Coach K loves and cherishes his players far, far, far too much for him to even begin pondering not letting Joey Baker have his senior moment. The only reason, the only reason that Joey Baker would not have given a speech tonight is because they know he will have his time to give a speech next year. I just, I I can't even begin to imagine someone spending four years playing for coach K being a part of coach K's family, because that's what players are. They're part of his family. And for coach K to, to not let that player have their moment that they have earned by spending four years in the program I am. If you'd asked me 24 hours ago, I would have said, there's no way Joey Baker's coming back. I would now say, I can't imagine Joey Baker's not coming back and playing next year for Duke.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of, we, we will talk I'm sure ad nauseum about what the roster looks like for next season, but it doesn't feel like Joey Baker would be necessarily like playing less than he does. He doesn't play much this year. And if he's happy with that role, um, there's actually even potentially an opportunity for him to play a little bit more next year, just given the makeup. We're going to need, we're
0: going to need outside shooting next year. And Joey Definitely. Baker could
1: be a, a big help. And, and there are guys coming in who are going to create space for that. Like Joey Baker probably can't succeed on, on a lot of, of good teams, but there, are, there is a particular team makeup where he would thrive. And maybe that is going to happen next year. I, I was double checking when Donald was, uh was, was talking earlier, Theo, John and Bates Jones have both played five seasons of college basketball. So I don't believe that either of them has, has another opportunity, but they also only got one year here. So uh, as honestly, if if you had me picking, if I had the opportunity to have Theo, John return next season to back up the bigs that Duke has coming in, oh boy, would I take that opportunity? I, I think that, that the, you know, even if he's not scoring uh, just the intensity and, and the, the terror that he could unleash is, is just awesome.
0: You know, Sam, this is a good time to get to player of the week because I'm about to surprise you with my player of the week pick.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So, Jason, why don't you kick us off then with your player of the week pick? We had, we had two games this week. We had a win and a loss. Uh, of course, the loss to UNC. But, uh, Jason, give me, your, give me your player of
0: the week. So, uh, against Pittsburgh... Trevor Keels and Paolo Bancaro were really great. I thought neither of them were all that good against UNC. I could see picking Paolo Bancaro, but I, I just I didn't think either of them played the way they needed to against UNC. Against UNC, I mentioned earlier that Mark Williams and Jeremy Roach were, were really great, but not so much against Pittsburgh. As for Wendell Moore, I just, no, I just didn't think that Wendell Moore or AJ Griffin really did it. So my player of the week this week is Theo John. Theo doesn't get a lot of minutes. He's not asked to do a ton. But I thought in both these games and in more and more games lately, Theo John has, in his limited minutes, been very effective. He has, you know, highlight reel making block shots. He rebounds hard. He puts pressure on the opposition. And so for the first time all year, I'm picking Theo John as my player of the week.
1: Donald, who you got?
2: I think Theo John's a great answer. Um, I'm not going with him. I'm going with something unconventional and they are not players. They are every, everyone who is a fan of this team who showed up tonight, whether they're inside or outside, because they, that crowd deserves some recognition beyond just being recognized. They are my players of the week.
1: I like it. I like it. This one's tough because Duke has one blowout win of a bad team. So how much do the results matter in that? And then Duke has won what ended up being like sort of a blowout loss, at least a very lopsided loss given the, the line going into the game against a team that is at this point really definitely making the NCAA tournament, but probably not getting a seed that tells you that they're, that they're making it to the second round, certainly not the second weekend of the tournament. So it's sort of hard to be like, oh, which game would, would I wait more in this um, I'm going to wait the UNC game. I think that the, the Pittsburgh game is just tough for you to get takeaways that are all relevant to winning any more banners for this year. So for the Carolina game, yeah, it's a bummer that Duke loses. But I'm going to take Mark Williams. I, I think that his performance against Carolina uh, next to Theo John Was outstanding. And and I think it was it was a a nice cap to a really awesome season for him. He still has work to do uh, to to continue getting better. We assume that that is going to be in the NBA next year and not at Duke, where the uh, the big man minutes are going to be tough to come by no matter who you are. So uh, I would like to see Mark Williams continue to develop. I would not be surprised if, if he finds another gear here in the next couple of weeks as we head into the postseason. So my player of the week for the last week of this season is Mark Williams for his performance against Carolina. Guys, we are going to get out of here on that. As we mentioned, we'll be back again very soon to preview the ACC tournament. That field is now set as of tonight. Um, we also need to have episode 400 coming up. So, uh, we're, we're warming up the mic for Kenny Denard. Uh, the ACC tournament begins on Tuesday in Brooklyn. I don't think any of us are going to be there, but uh, Duke will, will play its first game Thursday at noon. So we at least have to preview that first game coming up. We'll talk all about the ACC tournament this week. Uh, we will preview that. We hope that Duke is able to add another banner to its roster at the end of this week, and then maybe a couple more uh, headed into the NCAA tournament. But, for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, both of whom are coming to us from the Millennium Hotel in Durham following a an action-packed day of on-campus events around Duke basketball. I am Sam Klein. this has been episode 398 of the Duke basketball report podcast. Stay in touch with us. DBR at gmail.com. We got a few nice notes after the game today. We'll, we'll certainly dive more into the mailbag this week. If, if you want to get in touch, so do that. And we will talk to you again soon. Duke band. Take us home.